0: For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today.
2: Lift your eyes up if his protection is gone and your enemies are near If you've seen the seas spill over And the mountains shake, break, and fall If the moon ever turns blood red And you can't see the sun at all Rise up, no matter what.
3: and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio On the Black Talk Radio Network A program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate On the issue of 21st century legalized slavery Hosted by social activists and spoken word poet Max Arthas And Black Talk Media Press Project Sanders Scotty Reed. Die. On this Someone program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st-century slavery and human trafficking, as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the March 28, 2018 broadcast in our sixth season. On and near this day in history, on March 15th, 1832 the infamous Virginia Slave Codes were passed in response to the Nat Turner Rebellion. On March 25, 1931, nine African Americans ranging in age from 13 to 21 were arrested for allegedly raping two white women on board a train near Paint Rock, Alabama. An all white jury quickly convicted the defendants on flimsy evidence and eight of the nine were sentenced to death thanks to the efforts of the American Communist Party and using many of the same tactics as new abolitionists, the Scottsboro case was put institutional racism on display for the world to see. Also on March 22nd, 2018, Grace Devine Brown passed away at 93 years old. She was born in 1925, one of 12 siblings. Grace's mother of native and African-American descent was lost at an early age, resulting in her adoption by the Robinson family former slaves who fled Georgia to New Jersey. Grace had one child, Elizabeth, who died at birth. Yet she raised at least ten children from her family whose parents were unable to care for them due to the scourge of drug addiction, alcoholism, and mass incarceration in the black community. She only raised one of those as her own son. That son was me. Rest in peace, Mom. I'll see you again. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is Thomas Clarkson, born March 28th 1760, one of nine founder members of the Society for Effecting the Abolition of the Slave Trade, S-E-A-S-T All the nine remaining founding members were Quakers, reflecting their driving force behind abolition We will be re- discontinuing our segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion And beginning a new segment called The Slave Catcher Chronicles Later on, we'll explain why a rider of the 21st century underground railroad is former BPP member Herman Bell who spent 44 years in prison. Bell, who just turned 70, was convicted in 1973 with Albert Washington and Anthony Bottom in the 1971 killing of two New York police uh, New York City police officers. This month he gained his release through parole. As usual, We'll dissect and disseminate current news and events related to Thirteenth Amendment slavery from the perspectives of slavery abolitionists. We've got some bombshells tonight and some bullets, so let's get started. Got a question or a comment? You can call in seven zero four eight zero two five zero two six. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference dot com slash blacktalkradio network. Once again, I'm Max Partners. What's happening, brother Scotty? How you doing, man?
1: Hey, I'm doing the best I can, man. And I hope um, you and the family are doing okay, considering y'all just lost the matriarch of your family. So, again, condolences out to you and the family.
3: Thank you, Scotty. Yeah, it has been a tough time, indeed. Uh, I guess it's the end of an era for our family, for sure.
1: But she Kinda lives helped. on, though. Huh? She she lives on through you and your children and your grandchildren so our ancestors are always close by in living within us
3: well I believe firmly in my heart as I said in the introduction that I will see her again it's really the only thing that keeps me breaking down when I hear about all of these people being murdered is that we will see them all again one day and I have to believe that for my own mental stability
1: understood understandable So um, what's up, man? Um, What's up next? Man, I was like looking at the thread, and I know you do this for archive purposes, but I'm like, Max, that's like 40-something stories, man. We'll never get to them all. But again, there is no lack of evidence that slavery was never abolished. You can call it whatever you want to, but I know what, what the U.S. Constitution calls it. And I know that you know it has many tentacles throughout this society and throughout the world, so, um, you know, that it's just so much information. I don't see how people can be in denial about that and be so concerned about things other than slavery. I mean, not saying that you shouldn't be concerned about other things, but if slavery priorities. Yeah. If that's not at the top of your list, then, you know, I hear people, they worried about some slavery that may come. I'm like, we got slavery right now. What what are you talking about?
3: As you pointed out, Scotty, I do uh, that for archive purposes. And like you, I'm a researcher. So many of the stories that are in there have two or three sources to choose from, or that may uh, add more to the story. So if it's like 40 then it's probably 20 or 25 stories
1: understood but, understood
3: yeah but you know in any case anytime anyone wants to visit the largest archive of proof and evidence and testimony about modern day slavery and human trafficking all you have to do is go to our archives at the uh, BTR community <clears throat> it's, uh, right there and there's a lot going on man things were happening today like by the minute just an hour or two ago a man was killed here in South Carolina. Tribal rain was caught in traffic uh, while it was occurring. They had all of these police all over the place, and it was a standoff, apparently, with some uh, white guy who uh, had on him meth, meth-, uh, meth and, uh, a, yeah, methamphetamine and a, a gun and, <clears throat> and was holding host- people hostage, and it was a, a huge standoff. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, that man is now dead. So that just happened a little while ago And and then I I got this other thing that came out today Which I think is the biggest story of all right now If it comes, if it's really true And that's where this uh, couple, uh, a non-black couple Was caught by the FBI Because they called the police uh, Due to a break-in at the hotel they were staying in And the police came And I guess they saw things that made them want to call the FBI And they did and the FBI found an uh, arsenal in the hotel room, another arsenal of all kinds ca- of photos of the guns and ammunition they found in their car. And then they got a search warrant and found another arsenal in their home. So these two, husband and wife, allegedly team, were apparently en route to do something with all of these guns and ammunition. When the FBI took them into custody they explained to them that they were working for the government on a secret mission the fbi apparently believes them and is investigating their claim right now and has stated that they are no danger to the public
1: (laughs) well i hope they not if they're in custody but um yeah i saw that story man um my suspicion is is that they gun traffickers man that they possibly was on their way weren't they, they were busted in in uh uh massachusetts if i'm not mistaken and um you know they possibly could have been headed to new york or one or one of the so-called you know um what they call it gun control cities and what have you maybe chicago maybe new york but that, that's what i get from that man um, that you know they may be indeed working with the government to flood the black community with with weapons and what have you, but I I see that as gun traffickers, man.
3: I hope that that's the case because that would be the most uh, the the least scary of it.
1: Yeah, but, they also had a bump stop uh, too,
3: right? To, using bumps, I was thinking more along the lines uh, that these people may either were about to use those weapons or give them to someone who was intent on using those weapons for a specific purpose. And it started making me think about a lot of these killings that are going on like the one that happened in Vegas which we still don't know any damn thing about. Well you know I look at the worst of things sometimes man. I try to stay uh, as prepared as possible. Anyway, I'm going to pay attention to this story, and if it, is, it does turn out to be true, I really doubt you'll be hearing about it on mainstream media. We did put it on our website, our New Abolitionist Radio, so you can check it out there. Uh, make your own decisions and try to keep track of what's happening there. It's from abcchicago.com. Speaking of gun traffickers, Scotty, uh, well, let me, let me put it this way. I mentioned earlier in the intro and I asked you earlier if you minded if we suspended the segment for Freedom State a History of Rebellion which we've been
1: doing for now about a year, right? About a year? Um yeah, close to a year.
3: Uh, yeah, close to a year. Um and <clears throat> one of the reasons why I want to suspend it temporarily is so I could switch gears and go back to something else that I stopped doing because it became too much. Uh for me, every time I hear and I've, we've studied, like I said, almost a year of them. So you're talking about uh, over 50 or near 50 of these different rebellions. They all turn out the same damn way, and it breaks my heart, man. You know, I, I applaud our ability to stand up in defiance in the face of overwhelming odds. But every time I read about these racist sons of bitches putting heads on spikes, some uh, black sellout telling the master that it happened— people get murdered not even because something happened but most of these well I'm going to say most but a good number of these rebellions like Denmark Vesey never even occurred there was straight white fear that led to slaughters
1: well Denmark Vesey and, just- and Gullah Jack was actually planning a rebellion um they were planning to to take a ship from the Charleston harbor and sail to Haiti Planning and doing is two different things, right? They never right, made right. it out
3: the planning stage, right?
1: right. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, um, too many of those rebellions uh, got sold out before they even occurred, man. But like you said, though, man, there are literally hundreds of of these rebellions that have been documented, and I suspect many more that have not been documented. Yeah, for me,
3: it has gotten to the point where it exposes. The uh, heartless monstrosity that we know as uh, white supremacy, uh, more than the courage of the people who were fighting against it. I mean, it does ex- show that courage, but at the same time, that one consistent theme is always there, mm-hmm. and it was getting to me. So, I had already stopped doing the uh, slave catcher chronicles some a couple of years ago, and you know, me and Scotty felt the same way about that. Like after a while, you just can't take it watching these police kill and murder people over and over again, even if you have to be the reporter telling about it, it still changes you forever so we've been away from that
1: quite depressing, yeah
3: yeah, it's, it's hard man, it puts you in the deep depressions, but you gotta know these things, you gotta see it with your own eyes and then you have to report it precisely on what is occurring, so we stopped that for a while And I think it's time that we bring it back because just recently, there's been so many different stories about what these slave catchers are doing and what the system that has put it put into place is doing to protect them. They're literally killing us and getting away with murder. Just today, Scotty, you posted a video showing 22, 23 people who cops murdered and then walked away. And everybody knew, many of them, everybody knew it was straight up murder. Mm -hmm. And yet nobody has done any time for it? You want to talk about that, Scotty? Uh, sure.
1: Oh yeah, the video I posted I pulled from YouTube, man, and it was just documenting all the cases of specifically black people were killed. Boyd, um, just so many, man. There, Romarley Graham, just so many. Um, where the slave catcher was not held accountable at all man at all the very thing that uh colin kaepernick has put his career in jeopardy for um you know to expose and saying all of these but but um you know today max on twitter Uh, Candace Owens, who recently popped up on my radar as a quote-unquote former Democrat, now Republican, now NRA member and spokesman for this so-called urban outreach for a conservative group. But, you know, uh, her primary base is white folks. And so on Twitter today, She talking about she was pushing back against. She was no longer going to stand by and allow the media to push this narrative that there's a war on black people. And, you know, when I'm dealing with people like that, I become very codified, um, you know, in learning from Neely Fuller Jr. And, you know, I responded to her by saying and she said that the police are in our communities to help. So I just responded, you know, with some facts. And I told her, you know, first of all, Americans are being gunned down in the streets uh, more than any other nation. So I don't let them paint me into the box of of colorism or anything like that. You know, I just stick with the facts and, and become very codified depending upon who I'm dealing with. So I told her Americans are being gunned down in the street more than any other nation the supreme court ruled in a case that the police are not there to protect you that they are there to enforce law okay and these are these are just simply the facts and this is why the United States has become the largest police state in the world. They can talk about any other country they want to. They talk about Russia, China, North Korea, any other, no country on the face of this planet has slave catchers gunning down Americans as much as what's happening right here. No other country on the face of the planet has the, the prison slave labor population that the United States have. Okay. And um, so. Not even China. Not even China with a billion people, with over a billion people, okay? So, you know, um, I don't know. I, I Some people, though, I didn't expect no response from her because, you know, I know where what what her game is, but I still put it out there for others to see. Um, but I, I just don't, I guess we just had to keep doing what we're doing, Max. All the abolitionists out there, we just got to keep educating the public in a variety of ways and doing the best that we can to open up eyes. Some eyes, they super glue shut and they don't want to see it. But, you know, there are many other minds that I feel like are fertile ground for planting abolitionist seeds. So, you know.
3: Yeah, you're right, Scotty. And it all begins. Every revolution begins in your mind when you change your mind about something and you've had enough and you're no longer going to deal with it and you've decided enough is enough and all the slang terms and phrases that people use when you reach that point Mm -hmm. Um, so we'll start today again chronicling some of these atrocities that are going on with the slave catchers and uh, you know without slavery you wouldn't need slave catchers but they're Mm -hmm. out there hunting human beings and these are things that occur for instance Sam DeBoer's uh, the Ohio police officer who killed him just got $344,000 in back pay. <laughs> and the world saw that whole video and oh, how that unfolded. But he got 344000 in back
1: pay. Shot the man uh, in the, the head him. from the side of the vehicle. He wasn't in front of the vehicle. It wasn't no I fear for my life. He shot the man in the head. Um, he was actually a University of Cincinnati I would say rent a cop. He wasn't he wasn't working for like, you know, the city or nothing. He was working for the University of Cincinnati which um which um uh, fired him. And so after the charges were dropped against him, then a union challenged uh his dismissal and reinstatement with lost pay. And so he got over a quarter of a million in back pay. Like you said we saw on video Where he shot the man in the head From the side of the vehicle
3: Yes Uh, It was murder everybody knows it was murder Same thing happened with Baton Rouge officers who killed Alton Sterling another video we saw uh, Nobody's going to be Charged they literally get him away With murder Uh, then also A video has just come out Where the police who killed The Cynthia Clements Were discussing like literally How not to kill her before killing
1: her? Right. I posted that video and wrote, wrote a little bit about that. I put out an article yesterday where this white man in a similar situation, he was in an apartment building with two big knives, threatening residents. The police were called, and they had their weapons drawn. They came across them in the hallway uh he got up came towards them talking about kill me kill me kill me they decided they wasn't gonna kill him. pulled out their tasers and tased them and took him into custody cynthia the cynthia is, is her name um they just been calling her cynthia but her name is the cynthia and she was in the car doing drugs um She was at a dead end, not bothering anybody. You know, somebody doing drugs. Ain't no reason for, I feel, you know, to be arresting anybody. It's a grown adult. She can put in her body what she want to put in her body. You may not approve of it. It may be bad for her, but that's her decision. She was in in her car, not bothering anybody in a dead end street. Police see the car come upon her. She takes off. They finally get her stopped. And then she, they spent, I mean, you know, they spent an hour talking to this woman. As you just stated, Max, talking about, okay, she may have a knife, she got a steak knife um, or a screwdriver, and if she gets out of the car, we're going to tase her or hit her with the rubber bullets. Um, but, you know, that's not what happened. This woman obviously, and they also got information that she was um, currently undergoing mental health treatment, having hallucinations and and things of that nature. This is information that they got, that they knew they was dealing with, a person who wasn't mentally uh, in their right mind. So she sets the car on fire. You see the flames inside the car is filling up with smoke. I mean, heavy, thick smoke, right? I'm surprised she didn't pass out from smoke inhalation so then she opens the car door gagging and smoking I mean gagging off the smoke trying to escape the smoke in the fire and soon as her foot touches the ground bam shot her in the head
3: man like they just, just finished discussing what they could do and didn't do it they chose death instead so Another one, Scotty, and you're probably aware of this one too, has just happened out in Texas where police shot Danny Thomas, and he had his freaking pass down around his ankles standing out in public at an intersection, and they decided that they needed to kill him
1: and shot him dead. Are, are you? Have you heard about that? No, one, I hadn't Scotty? heard about that one, Max. And like I said on Twitter, I said, you know, we've had at least at least that I know about three show- shootings of black people this week. Not a word from congressional reps, but they was all up in that March for Our Lives rally, but they ain't got nothing to say about these the continued murder of, of people, Americans, in our streets. But I, And so, I, I said it was probably many more. So, I only knew about those three. But I know that these slave catchers, according to uh, Killed by Police are killing at least how many, three, up to three 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 Americans a day?
3: Three people a day are killed by police on average for the past few years.
1: I mean, add those up. Every single day. Add that that up. Is that not a crisis? I did some
3: research on uh, a comparison. You know, there's this March for Our Lives going on right now about the school shootings. There's been a total of 200 Uh, young people killed, 18 and under, from school shootings since 1999. But in contrast, there have been 252 killings of people 18 and under by police since the same time period. Literally, the police have killed more kids than all the school shooters combined. It's it's just ridiculous. But that wasn't one of the topics. And when you start adding the math of how it all works out together, it gets even crazier. Because remember... We're talking about a student population of, what, 75 million? So these shooters are coming from a population of, of you know tens of millions. There were only one million cops in the entire damn country. And all 252 of those deaths came from that group of one million. It's like you're ten times more likely to get shot by a cop than a school shooter. But that's not the topic.
1: It's not the topic because, unfortunately, many people... I've never had the occasion, and I'm talking about these students as well, because I've never read the 13th. The 13th Amendment was not a study lesson in high school when I was in high school. Uh, It wasn't part of the curriculum, you know, the classes I was taking when I was in college uh, going towards my liberal arts degree. But um, it's it's, it's, that's all I can chalk it up to. 99% of Americans actually believe slavery was abolished by the 13th Amendment, and if they have read the 13th Amendment, and that's still coming out their mouth, like Sheriff, uh, I should say former Sheriff, um, what's his name? David Clark. David Clark, who had the nerve to talk about, hey, if you're gonna repeal the 2nd Amendment, why not just appeal the 13th Amendment too, and the 14th Amendment, and whatnot. They want everything after the 10th. Yeah, so I'm like, look, dude, uh, the abolitionists got with you on Facebook, where we had a direct conversation with you about that 13th Amendment. Why you out here still pushing this false narrative? Is your and reading comprehension not, your darling? It was he not, a media darling. What's that. It was before he became a media darling on yes. Fox News. Yes, it, it was, and we had—I mean, we had direct interaction uh, with him. But again, this is willful. This is willful denial and pushing the lie that slavery was abolished. Now, I also think that, you know, a lot of us have don't have a good reading comprehension because I don't know how you can read the 13th Amendment and walk away from that and say slavery was abolished. I
3: don't know. I don't know either, Scotty. I don't know either. But, you know, let me just give a little update since you didn't hear this story about what happened in Texas. uh, And maybe other people haven't either. When did this this happen, Max? This was published Monday at 8.58 a.m. And today is Wednesday. It happened Monday. A Harris County Texas deputy was caught on video fatally shooting an unarmed man who was walking in the middle of the street, intersection with his pants around his ankles. The video, obtained by the Houston Chronicle, shows the unidentified deputy drawing his weapon on Danny Thomas on Thursday. A woman off camera can be heard commenting as the situation unfolds. He's about to get tased, the woman speculates. Then a vehicle drives in front of the camera just before a single shot is heard. He shot that man? The woman exclaims. Why he shot him? Why he shot him? Why he shoot that man? He should have gotten tased. He, should have shot that, he shouldn't have He should have shot that man in no street. As the vehicle moves out of the way, Thomas is seen lying face down on the ground. According to an early report by the Chronicle, the deputy was reportedly trying to break up a fight before shooting Thomas. Sheriff Ed Gonzalez said that the deputy was passing by the intersection when he saw two men involved in what seemed to be a verbal and physical altercation. Authorities said that Thomas started acting aggressively towards the officer and ignoring commands. A spokesperson for the sheriff's department said that Thomas had some object in his hands, and thus we got the usual excuse, which is that the deputy feared for his life before firing a single fatal shot. You can read the rest of that story on New Abolitionists.
1: Yeah, apparently, you know, law enforcement is full of cowards because they show us in a lot of fear all the time. I mean, if you're that afraid, why would you take the job? Why would you want to do the job? And so, obviously, you know, they're lying. They ain't in fear fear for their life. What, what was he going to do? Pee on you or something? Huh? Was that it? I, I don't understand. man standing in the middle of the road with his pants to his ankles. Uh, he can't run far. Uh, was there any effort to talk him down To, to you know Tell him to pull up his pants I mean this is, I get so sick of this Max it makes me angry man And this is why one... we
3: discontinued this whole Oh story. god This is why One day back and we're already Just burnt about this And who wouldn't be Who couldn't be expected to be But the White House sends out statements like You know police killing black people All over America is a local problem a local
1: problem. That a was, local uh, problem. Uh, so they ain't American citizens? Is that what you saying?
3: Saying handle it your damn self. That's what they're saying. It's a local problem. You handle it. We mm. ain't got nothing to do with it. It's not an epidemic of course. Which, uh, yeah, I got to keep this going, Scotty, because these are all going to burn a piece of my soul away. The next one came out yesterday and it's the uh embattled Missouri Sheriff won't face murder charges in Tory Sanders' death. Tory Sanders, 28, called police for help after getting lost, only to die in his jail cell. Um, Attorney General Josh Hawley said in a statement today there wasn't enough evidence to prove that suspended Mississippi County Sheriff Corey Hutchinson and his jailers were responsible for Tory Sanders' death. Even so, Hawley said he is opening a broader investigation into practices at the jail and has not ruled out other charges. Sanders died on May 5, 2017, while in protective custody at the jail. His death was the subject of a cover story later that month in the Riverfront Times. The 28-year-old father of eight had left Nashville the day before his death and apparently veered far off course before he ran out of gas in Hill region of Missouri. After a long, confusing night in an unfamiliar place, Sanders approached police officers in a small town of Charleston for help. He informed them he had he had a warrant, so they took him to the Mississippi County Jail to check. It was a minor charge out of their jurisdiction, so they tried to send him on his way, but Sanders, who suffers from depression, reportedly refused to leave and was eventually placed in protective custody Plans to transfer him to a medical facility. I'm gonna stop there, Scotty, because I don't believe none of that bullshit. Not none of it. Not nan now piece of it. Mississippi County authorities claimed he then became combative and fought with police and jailers. I can't even read this anymore, man. They killed the man. They killed the damn man. He was lost. He asked the police for some help and instead of getting some help, he got killed. And that's Tory Sanders, and nobody is going to face justice for his death that's the news from that one right there.
1: Yeah, I need to tweet that one specifically to Candace Owens since she said the police are here to help.
3: Got like three more, Scotty. The, the, as you're seeing, these are all just now happening like yesterday, two days ago. A day, You know, I mean, it's, it's crazy today. Uh, here's one from South, another one from South Carolina that happened 13 hours ago. Uh, Christopher Backerwin a licensed pharmacist who volunteers as a gun-carrying state constable stood next to a car that lurched backwards during a traffic stop last weekend in Florence. All right, well, the news came out 13 hours ago. I guess this was last weekend. He started shooting. He and two uh, city officers were not standing in the car's path as it reversed and struck an empty police cruiser, but Bakachin fired repeatedly toward the driver door, Eight shots went off, wounding the man behind the wheel. Those details emerged Tuesday as the Florence Police Department released the video of the episode that Mayor Stephen Walkler dubbed troubling. The shooting came amid years of national, nationwide scru- scrutiny of law enforcement officers' use of force against black suspects. The constable is white and the motorist is black. It also raises fresh questions about the training of South Carolina law enforcement officers who are faced with deciding whether to target moving cars that might pose a tr- danger to people. The two police officers with Bakachin had special training to make that decision. They did not shoot. You could read more of this story on New Abolitionist Radio. Bottom line, again, in the same state where they shot the dude at the gas station for getting his ID like he was told to get. Just shot eight times at a motorist on a normal traffic stop. Where in the video, you can hear him talking about how he smells marijuana. (sighs) Weed's going to get you killed these days, huh? So he fired off eight shots. I mean, one ain't good enough. You got to make sure they dead. You are judge, jury, and executioner right there and right then. And you, possibly racist-ass white South Carolina policeman, have all the discretion in the world, knowing that you will get away with it because the whole system has your back that's what happened anything, Scotty?
1: Oh, uh, no, cause I might start cursing man
3: uh we haven't gotten to the worst one yet, man. No, man we haven't gotten to the worst one, which is the talk of the town right now, and um you know that would be uh Stephen Clark. And uh, what's been going on with that? I was saving that one for the last, the last one actually. And you know, they executed that young brother uh, out in Sacramento, California. Uh, ran into his. Let me let me let me tell the story as I know it, unless you've already written or spoken about it on your uh, news program, Scotty. Have you?
1: Oh no, I. I um... I don't do a live program on Tuesday nights anymore, man. I'm just saving my energy for, um, you know, New Abolitionist Radio. I'm on live on New Abolitionist Radio, but I still do interviews and put out podcasts. So um, uh, I did share, you know, the story with others. And, um, you know, it it is like you said, the talk of the it's on the tip of everybody's tongue after that video came out and and then hearing, you know, the audio to it as well. And then, you know, the fact that the slave catchers turned off the mic, um, what were they discussing, you know, and then to find out that um, they just put everybody in that community's life in danger by Firing over 20-something shots. You know what I'm saying? It's like they had no regard that they were in a residential area. And it, it, didn't, take, it didn't take all that, man. But again, the they, excuse. They
3: didn't get no warnings either. Yeah,
1: the excuse is always, I was in fear for my life, cowards. So the way
3: I understand the story is uh, Brother Stephen Clark, I think he was 22, came to his grandmother's house. The way he always comes to his grandmother's house By jumping over a few fences And going through a few neighbor's yards And he'd done that And apparently the police Either heard there was somebody going Doing such a thing Or uh, saw it somehow themselves But he was already at his grandmother's house Relaxing, sitting outside When they came around Looking for him I think within Like five or seven seconds they started firing on his brother with the old, he had something in his hand. I think one of them even said that on the video. He's got something in his hand or got a gun or something like that. And they ended up shooting this young man 20, 20 freaking times. 20! Not one because you don't even know who what's going on. Not one to disable, not two, not three. 20 freaking times. And...
1: Uh... Well, they were called, Max. Uh, actually, um, there was a call that uh, somebody was breaking windows and and stuff like that and that was in the video that I saw uh, some of the audio excuse me I didn't see the call I heard the call and this uh, white person you know said there's a dangerous negro in the community breaking windows and what have you so that's why the police were in the area
3: yeah we all fit the description Um, I'll read a little bit about about the story from The Root. And this is in regards to... It's not, it's not the initial story. It's, it's about people talking about why didn't he just comply? So The Root said this, and I believe it's Michael Harriet. Since reporting Tuesday night on the shooting death of Stephen Clark at the hands of the Sacramento Police Department, I have gotten many of the same responses from people both on Twitter and in the comment sections of The Root. Why didn't he just comply? Why was he running from the police? Why... Was he holding his phone like a gun? Even after videos were posted Wednesday night, people still seem to be confused about the events that occurred on Sunday, March 18th. So I thought it would be a good idea to clear up at least some of the misconceptions that are floating around there. Why was he running from the police? Clark was never running from the police. He was already running. He he was already running through the backyard and hopping fences in his neighborhood, headed to his home. The police were not chasing him. Even as the helicopter guides the two police officers to his location, he is still at his home, standing on the side of it and has no way of knowing the police are after him. When the police begin rushing towards him, he moves. At no point do the police identify themselves as police officers. They yell at him to show his hands, say that he has a gun, and begin shooting at him. They fire at him 20 times. The police do not identify themselves until after he is already dead, and the second unit arrives. The police claim that they saw him with a gun, and the excuse everyone is making for that is well it was dark. Well, guess what Stephen Clark was in that same darkness and had no way of knowing who was coming towards him in that darkness as he stood in his own backyard. Have you ever been on the other side of police flashlight? Those things are blinding, and it makes it impossible for you to see anything. If the police didn't identify themselves as officers, how was he supposed to know they were there? Why didn't he just comply? As the video shows us, not only did the police not identify themselves, but as soon as they yelled out their command, they immediately began operating under the assumption that he had a gun. They began firing their weapons within three seconds of telling him to show his hands. Clark was never given the opportunity to comply was he holding his phone like a gun i'm still trying to figure out what holding his phone like a gun looks like from what i can see on the helicopter video it doesn't look as if he pointed anything at them his iphone was white and his hands at the time he was shot not sure how something big and square got mistaken for a gun but okay uh and he goes on to say evading arrest is a misdemeanor in california Even if Clark was running from the police, evading arrest is a misdemeanor in the state of California, and it is not punishable by death. No one deserves to die just because they ran from the police. Someone running from the police is not posing a threat to them. If you are still confused after reading this, please watch this Washington Post video in which they combine the audio from the helicopter and the various video provided by the police to show you exactly what happened. Stephen Clark was executed By two frightened police officers Period There's nothing left to debate And the author of that is Monique Judge Man, I've heard his moms I saw his brother take over uh, The the city council meeting I've heard the testimony of people Who was there during the meeting I saw the reaction of the All uh, white city council In Sacramento While all of these uh, black people Constituents were in the uh, room And it just reminded me of what you see Every day in judges I mean in uh, in courtrooms Where all white people prosecuting All black people all day long So it was, it was horrifying that, that what happened to them And it was heartbreaking to see Not only how the reaction Of the officials are But also the way they treated the people Who had just endured this incredible Trauma at their hands Scotty?
1: I don't have anything on it, Max.
3: Yeah. Well, I'll I'll say this much in the broader scope of things. For me, I began this path that I am on right now back in 1995 when Lawrence Myers was shot face down on the ground, a 16-year-old boy, my neighbor. Shot face down on the ground by a white rookie policeman. And the whole country almost rioted over that. Many there were many riots across the country, but I was there. I was involved in all of that. And the way it ended up, even with my involvement, and I saw it firsthand, talk with the mayor, I've talked with the city council. I I mean I investigated this thing. And how it ended up is the man who killed him, the police officer who killed him, was never charged. Instead he was promoted. They gave him a supervisory job At the local youth detention facility The local for-profit youth detention facility That's how his story ended And I swore I would never let his name die And I would seek justice for him for the rest of my life And I've been doing that But it started me on this path And now you have a whole new generation of people That's going to be started on this path with Stephen Clark uh, Just like they started on this path with uh Trayvon Martin, and there's so many names. I mean that uh, where we have this it's, it's like every freaking few months There's another name and another group of activists are born and it reminds me of when uh, The presidential nominee Ron Paul was talking about how America makes terrorists in other countries And he was explaining when you go over there and you kill somebody's mother and father and brother You are turning the rest of their family into terrorists <laughs> The same damn thing is happening right here. Right here. You wonder why we hate the cops? All you got to do is tune in the new abolitionist radio, and you can get all the reasons you need. But people don't even come here to get it. They get it every day, everywhere, to the point where there was even, like, you know, studies that have been coming up. Like, do white people even care? <laughs> do, they eat, do they give a damn about what is happening? And, you know, the studies all show exactly what Sarah Huckabee said today. It's a local problem. <laughs> You
1: deal with it. And just to keep it real, it is a local problem. So we need to deal with it. We need to deal with these people locally. You need to be organizing locally. Forget traveling to Washington, D.C. and all of that. What what has that resulted in? Has it resulted in any... Uh, tighter legislation reigning in slave catchers no it has not as the old saying go all politics is local you know so uh you know you need you need to be involved in it in that process and uh you know i'm just thinking about philadelphia right now man and that historic memo put out by the new d.a who who basically told the cops don't bring us no marijuana arrest of any amount. We don't, we ain't trying. We ain't prosecuting none. And then clearing, uh, how many did he fire that didn't want to get with the program? Something like forty-two assistant district attorneys. I was like, wow, that's a pretty large district attorney's office. It's local, man. You got to organize locally. Not saying that we don't need national partners, but hey. That, that's what you need to do because you, you, you wasting your, hey, if Barack Obama wasn't going to do nothing about it, if the black, congressional black caucus ain't done nothing about it by now, if the rest of Congress ain't done nothing about it by now, why you keep expecting them to? That's like, that's like the definition of insanity. You have a better chance at, look, I live in my county, man, we ain't dealing with that kind of stuff with these cops, man. We're just not. We're not dealing with it.
3: Well, it's often uh, very grouped, these issues. Like you'll find them in places uh, happening often where poverty really is a, a big problem and poverty breeds crime. So you have these communities that have to deal with these things on a regular basis, and as far as I know, that's about 50 million Americans today who are either at, near, below the poverty level. And you'll see a lot of these police... Interactions that result in brutality of murder happen in those communities. So
1: So you got so you got them happening in. I'm I'm sorry, I was just going to say. Well, by those numbers, then you got the slave catchers outlaw uh, outnumber fifty to one.
3: Yeah, that was why the slave codes were born, as a matter of fact, where they literally said you can't have but so many X number of black people per white person. I think it was 10 to 1 or something like that. You couldn't have more than 10 black people for every one white person. <laughs> hmm. So, um, anyway, Scotty, a couple Back. more. and Yeah, it, it sounds like uh, Otis there. Is that Otis?
4: Yeah, I just wanted to say why, because I know y'all have been busy. I put it in the chat room. Actually, I don't think this stuff on clock is going to go away. I was just going to I put the article in the chat room, but I'll read them off for you real quick. This is actually going national. You've got marches from the 28th of this month all the way through April, already playing across the country. Phoenix, New York, Durango, Colorado, Charlotte, North Carolina, Dallas, Las Vegas, Boston, Seattle protests are steadily being planned all across the country. I don't think this is going to stop. This this might be what it takes for black people to wake up. That's all it, I it, wanted to put in. It's always just been a matter of
3: time. Of whose baby had to die for everybody to finally stand up? And maybe this is the case here. But, you know, we saw the same thing with Ferguson. And yeah, that was I, a
4: long I stand. Just, yeah, I just think on the, on the tail end of this March for Our Lives, and uh, I, even though I've been banned from Twitter for asking Dwayne Wade them about it for for 12 hours, I refuse to go along with that, but I digress. What I'm saying is I think there's a wide swath of black people because I've been going across a lot of these articles on Medium and uh, some of the other forums where these bloggers are on, and there's a wide swath of even the academic elite Negroes are all upset because they can see the the dichotomy and what people have put money behind for these 17 white kids in Parker versus what's happening to us. And I think I think this might gain a little bit of gravity because you're going from spring into summer. I don't think this is gonna stop.
1: I I'm kind of confused, oldest. Um what is it that you think that's gonna come out of March for our lives that's gone Address this element of 21st century slavery and human trafficking. I just want to add also this just in breaking news that the, as a result of the March for Your Lives, the NRA raised almost $1 million this month.
5: I don't
4: understand how you think I think it's the March for the Lives. I said the dichotomy of it. People are upset because they realize that what I got in trouble for with Dwayne Wade was I how can you be so moved over this supposed to be march for our lives with some lone government but you weren't moved from Ferguson to St. Louis to right. Baltimore to New York City right and I'm telling you and I've been sending that off to some of these supposed to be black people right. that you know that like like Oprah and Dwayne Wade that that gave seven hundred thousand dollars those two black people. Wayne Wade and Oprah gave $700,000 to that movement after uh, Bill Gates and his wife and several other celebrities did. And I'm saying, where were you not moved to donate that money so that those young black youth in Ferguson that have a legitimate claim for decades and centuries of wrongdoing and getting killed by police, and you weren't moved to get off a single dollar? And what I asked them is, these Negroes, where were you then? And they, banned yeah. me for, they got me trying to do a 12-hour thing. And my, thing, my point is now, I think those hoardy tordi Negroes are starting to understand that they're going to have to stick with their people. Because I said, it's easy for you to give money when your tax accountant tells you you can get a tax break. Why, would, why couldn't you give your money when you could have coordinated and helped those youth to organize across this country to get some justice? You didn't have a dime to give to them, and they look like you, and you want me to believe you were moved?
1: I'm with you on that. I don't, I, and I'm saying, you know, I don't think um, that they're going to change. Now, I don't got no, much I, to say about Dwayne Wade. I mean, I don't know what kind of money he gives. Some of these people don't give money to be seen or heard about, you know, they give it in secret and what have you but he has spoken out in the past you know when Trayvon Martin got, got murdered down there in Florida um, you, what the Miami Heat did to bring attention to it so I don't know if I would put Dwayne Wade in the same well, boat as a Oprah Winfrey here's
4: what, here's what I'm saying as I told him I keep seeing all of them even in some of the black people talking about how organized and peaceful the, these white people's march was but I keep bringing to their attention hold on people put billions behind that and then waited until Congress was gone from Washington, D.C., gave them a permit, gave them food, and got them demonstrating in the street as though that's a protest. You and I both know if you're not disrupting anything, how is this supposedly a protest? Mm-hmm. And my point is, again, I think some of these black people with a little bit of money now are going to have to put their money where their mouth is because of the thing of this. I'm I'm hoping it changes, and they give these young black people some kind of way to demonstrate constructively without going to jail. That's my thing. Stop letting these police put- run them off the street like they did in, in St. Louis. You look at St. Louis. What happened when the people got out there and demonstrated? They kettled them in groups and, and locked them up two or three hundred at a time. And then somebody comes along and says, well, we're going to bail them out of jail. No give them a constructive organization so they can continue to get this stuff done, so they can hold police accountable, so they can force these people to have some citizen boards and organizations that do these, that look over these police on a local level. We're not going to get the, the Justice Department to do it, so we have to go local. Make them have to put in citizen councils. That's what they were complaining about in Sacramento. I listened to three or four uh, uh, Coverages of of the Sacramento thing with Stephonte, you know, who disrupted the Sacramento Council, and that's what they talk about. This lady came they, they also blocked they came the entrance one the
1: to one of those uh NBA games, too. They was uh blocking the entrance, yeah. They, yeah they said it, but
4: what, what got me is one of the sisters in, in right after that demonstration by the brother. One of the sisters came on and went over a whole background. She said, for oh, showing her work for five years, she said all of the things that we came to you with, you turned down and you didn't fund, and here we are back with another death, and we're not going to take it this time. You're either yeah. going to put a citizen board with with some kind of bite and, and control so the citizens have an input, or we're going to shut it down. And I I don't think it's going. I don't think they're going to quit. I th- I'm hoping some black
1: people wake up all across the country yeah I, I hope they also wake up to the fact that this ain't our movement um you know I, i'm hearing stuff like like you know they all for this liberal gun control and banning the second amendment and and all of that that ain't that stuff ain't gonna ain't never gonna happen okay exactly it ain't I never agree. gonna happen so But
4: I think they're breaking away from that 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 the white boy march for lives thing. They're saying no, we're not. They're they're talking. We need to take care of our neighborhood,
1: local. What's going on? And and I thought it was interesting that Barack Obama. Uh, going to say because all the Democrats doing is trying to use these these young people uh, for votes or what have you and momentum and what have you uh, because they certainly ain't tackling uh, any of the issues that's important to the abolitionist movement or poor people you know but Barack Obama you know somebody posted on Twitter and I thought it was it was a great post they posted Barack Obama quotes after Ferguson and how he chided black people and said oh y'all this stuff ain't gonna happen overnight but then he gonna tell these little white kids hey change is coming you know what I'm saying they gonna force change but he told us oh you know slow your road this stuff ain't gonna happen overnight yep I agree with you
4: but I said these national these movements in these other cities are being done by local people and I think that's a good thing as long as they don't let big money come in and try to stop them because that's all they've done with this other movement that's big money trying to let people vent and then move on and let the status quo stay and that, that march for life like I said they didn't disrupt anything they cleared out Washington D.C. and let some people come that could afford to, to what fly in and relax and be in hotel rooms or a bus so that's, in. Not, that's not a protest
1: yeah yeah, I agree. I agree, Otis. I agree.
3: I had to. Uh, I felt compelled to make a public statement about the March for Our Lives rallies that were going on, saying that I was not in support of it, and clearly express why as simply as I can as a poet. And it, you guys, Mark, uh, just touched on much of what.
1: The problem well, can was. you just like, share that with children, us,
3: sir? Um, yeah, if I can find this a couple of days ago, I put it out there.
1: okay, um, for that, okay. In the
3: program I'll see if I can find it, but basically, I was saying that my issue is not with the kids because the kids think they're doing the right thing, but they're being manipulated by the Democratic Party who is using this as a talking point to rally their base for twenty twenty so they are exploiting these children and their pain in an in incomplete denial of the actual murders that are happening at the hand of police. Uh, Two young black men uh, Women and children and and that bothered Me a lot and almost every single Well I ain't gonna say almost every Video that I saw Of a person of color speaking At the rally they spoke Specifically about their voices being Muted about nobody cares About how their children are dying Or their uh, schoolmates are dying And nobody's got nothing to say about it That was their whole thing
1: And Max. Remember we was reporting on the class action lawsuit in Michigan of all those black and brown boys being raped in prison. These are teens. These are children. The same age as these other children. Where was the mass outrage? When we reported just a week or so ago about this sister down there in Texas who worked in the in 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 uh, Department of Correction, and she came out and said they starving them children? And they beating them children And they torturing them children Where was the mass outrage?
3: Right Exactly A fellow poet, friend of mine, longtime friend of mine Hannah Drake Who's a multi-published artist And just did like a ballet and a play And everything with her poetry She basically came out and said You know what, don't call me no more If it ain't about helping my people Don't call me no damn more Period I feel the same way because we've seen this happen over and over again. They do it to us every time. Oh, we need to get gay rights and you guys are affected by this, so come on out here and help us to get gay rights. And then they get the gay rights. Oh, we have this immigration problem and you know immigrants are just like uh, African Americans, so come on out here and help us with the immigrants, or come on out here and help us with the Palestinians, or come on out here and help us with the women's rights. And we're still standing there with our you know, with our hands empty going, When are you gonna come and help us? When? Because every one of these damn things that you talk about has no space for the issues affecting black Americans.
1: None. Right, right. And and we do want to point out that the abolitionist movement in our rally in March that occurred in Washington, D.C. last uh, August, very diverse group of people, very diverse people, all different races, ethnicity, ages probably sexual orientation not that i was going around asking people they sexual orientation and and what have you but they those they were there as individuals they weren't there representing any of these organizations and what have you there was no organizational endorsement by GLAAD, of the millions for prisoners human rights march or there was no endorsement by the whatever women's organization is out there of the millions for prisoners human rights march there was no while there should have been considering how they are enslaved in these private prisons but there was no large LaRaza did not endorse the millions for prisoners human rights march
3: Um, one of my uh, a brother you've met him before or heard him before Henry Arthur aka spirit the tattoo poet uh an abolitionist here in columbia just sent me the link to what i said the statement that i had so i'll I'll read it on air
1: okay read that statement and then we'll go into break
3: perfect i am personally not in support of the youth movement centered on gun control happening today it keeps excluding black voices it allows political figures to exploit children for their own agendas, and as far as gun control, I just posted that the courts have ruled anyone with a medical marijuana card cannot purchase a gun. Your intentions and their targets are two different things, and it's hypocritical AF, because you know, I keep reporting on police murdering men, women, and children in the street, but it isn't their guns you are concerned with. Also, did I mention I can't stand when wicked politicians exploit children you can support whatever you want. I make my own choices based on my own understanding, and it may not always be a popular or accepted choice. I can live with that. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, and we're talking about modern day slavery and human trafficking. We'll be right back after these messages.
6: Yeah. Now I'm
0: not a writer. Okay.
1: Black Talk Radio, since 2008, providing new black media for the masses.
3: Peace. Welcome back to the New Abolitionist Radio. I guess, Scotty, it would be a good idea to go into a couple of stories that I really want to get out there today. Okay. Uh, one is... One of them is particularly about what I just talked about uh, we, and what you guys were talking about earlier. What are the results of this whole, uh, you know, March for Our Lives uh, campaign that has been going on and this, you know, uh, gun control campaign that's been going on? Well, I'm going to read to you two stories uh, about what are the results. The first comes out of the L.A. Times, and it's from March 26, just a few days ago, 2018. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I'm on the wrong article here. My bad. (laughs) Let me reread that. Uh, The first article comes from Fortune.com, and the date on this is September 1st. It says that court rules that medical marijuana card holders can't buy firearms. If you have a medical marijuana card, the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals says that you can't buy a gun. The court ruled 3-0 to zero on Wednesday that a me- ban preventing medical marijuana card holders from purchasing firearms is not in violation of the Second Amendment. The Associated Rep- Press reports there are nine Western states under the appeals court jurisdiction, including Nevada, where the case originated. A lawsuit was filed uh, by Nevada resident. S. Rowan Wilson after she tried to purchase a gun for self-defense and was denied based on a federal ban on the sale of guns to users of illegal drugs. Though marijuana has been legalized in some places on a state-by-state basis, it remains illegal under federal law. The court maintains that drug use raises the risk of irrational or unpredictable behavior with which gun use should not be associated. (sighs) Okay. You can read the rest of that part on New Abolitionist Radio. That is the Supreme Court ruling. Uh, and here we have another article that follows up on that. So, what did they do? Well, they sent out a memo to the people of Hawaii. And it says, if you use medical marijuana, you must turn in your guns. That's according to the Honolulu Police Department, which has been sending out letters to legal user- users of medical medicinal weed that they must forfeit their weapons as reported by multiple news organizations. The first legal medical marijuana dispensary opened in Hawaii this August. According to Associated Press, even though medical pot was first legalized in 2000, they are currently, there are currently 29 states that have some form of legalized medicinal pot. But the drug is still illegal under federal law, which trumps any law on weed that states may pass. Joshua E. Jackson, spokesman for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, ATF, told LaHaye Valley Live in Pennsylvania. There are no exceptions in federal law for marijuana used for medicinal or recreational purposes, he said. So there you have it. (laughs) Who do they go get the guns from? Pot smokers. Like, you know, we've been reading all week long about all these pot smokers going out mass shooting and murdering people. Like, who ever heard of that? Uh, it it reminds me Just a moment uh, Otis I just want to make one more statement It reminds me of what Nixon said And what Nixon did When he specifically started The war on drugs To target the hippies And anti-war uh, activists And the black communities Go ahead
4: Otis Oh I agree 100% As a matter of fact I I've been publishing some articles Showing people This is a twofold thing not only are they going to take the gun as a quote le- legalized marijuana but you're only going to be able to get marijuana from approved sources I've I put out so many articles showing when Monsanto is actually trying to basically take over the national trade in marijuana they've allowed it to start in several different states but you know what happens when big money comes in for mass distribution of anything. They can basically buy out those smaller people because they've got billions from from uh, of dollars and they got the connections to write the laws to fit them. Uh Scotty ran out to get some coffee. That's why I'm I'm kind
1: uh, of no
4: out with it. But no and problem. I said when when you talk about this whole thing, I've I've watched it so long. I'm no poet. But after I got a few nasty uh, messages from Facebook, I finally just wrote on my header, look, my position on this March for Our Lives is basic. If I'm wrong, I can accept it. My problem with the current events is, show me a direct line to removing AR-15s, improving your kid's life. Show me any mass shooting in a predominantly black school, which has already had SROs, school resource officers, metal detectors, violations of established fire codes via locked exits and entrance since the Bill Clinton days. Show me any mass shooting in those schools. I'll wait. Conflation is a tool that folks, for folks who don't want facts. The reality is there was no outrage at Ferguson, St. Louis, Baltimore, New York City, Charlottesville, Fruitsville, and on and on. If human lives matter that much, how come it had to be 17 students? So I I already- Yeah,
1: all of them wasn't students though. All of them wasn't students, but your point is taken.
4: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They claim, yeah, 17 faculty and students, right. And my point was, you're gonna tell me now that these 17 deaths in a school somehow provoked you to be moved to do something. Why won't you move with all the carnage all the way across the nation?
1: See, see, speaking to your point, Otis, this is why I want, I I want, you know, and I kind of hinted at this in an article earlier, but how come we don't see these white snuff films of police killing all these white people? You know, this is why I try to remain codified and non-color-coded when I discuss this issue because science already shows they ain't empathetic towards black people. This is science. Scientific studies show that the dominant population in this country is not empathetic towards uh, black people or any person of color for that matter, all right? They, this is what the science says. So, now, if we throw out disproportionality, meaning that black people are and Hispanics are killed disproportionate to their you know share of the total american population but we just go by raw numbers white males are the ones who are killed the most by cops and they're also the ones who's killing cops the most now i'm sure there's plenty of video of these white people getting killed but we don't see it it's not being circulated by cnn fox news or anybody else why do you think that is
4: Well, I think I agree with with what we've been talking about over the years since I've kind of joined on talking with y'all. If white folks got in an uproar, they'd have to bond with us. You you, you eliminate the barriers. You can't keep this racial divide going unless you make white folks think they have something in it or something that they can benefit from that you can't. And and I'm like you. I send people information all the time saying, you're not understanding There's white people dying too, but most of the time they're poor white people.
3: You know, that's one of the things that I have come at odds with people over the years is I just don't change my language. I I don't give a damn. I, I cannot, I mean I've done it, but it doesn't sit well with me that I have to appeal to somebody's sense of wealth, that you're losing money or that this is costing you something In order to get them to end slavery, I'm like, how? What? Because, okay, in my mind, let me think. Let me put it like this: In my mind, if that's what I need to do to convince you, you're the problem, because no sooner than you give us a little. Uh, uh, uh you know a win here and there you're going to turn around and do the same damn thing all over again because you have already showed you don't give a damn about human life you don't give a damn about the conditions that you have put people in all you care about is whether or not you're going to lose money well and i can't,
1: it's I can't, not I can't me oh let let me say this Otis, oh, yeah. yeah yeah i'm not trying i'm not trying to appeal to anybody based on on their yeah. status i'm yeah. just pointing out facts facts are yeah, like I yeah, like I wrote in my article the other day, Chris Rock, I watched Chris, Chris Rock's Netflix special. And he caught some heat from Fox News and conservative media when he insinuated that, you know, we, he wants equality in police shootings. And he, he's telling a joke. he He's just joking. And so I guess he assumes that if more white people was getting shot by cops, it would be in the news. And then, you know, white people would be moved to move against the cops since they see the cops since they obviously you know care about themselves I would think but like I said you know he might be wrong you know uh because all these white people getting killed and these white people don't seem to be outraged other than that Australian white woman getting killed in, in Minneapolis that's about the lar- the, the largest uh, local movement against police brutality and if it had been a white cop and not a black cop, I'm not so sure that movement would even be, you know, as big as it is. So it's just a matter of, you know, and, and I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not saying, I'm not telling anybody else how to speak about the issue. I'm speaking for myself and coming from a place a, a of codification, codification. Okay, I, I'm, I'm 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 using mental jujitsu on them. You know, <laughs> you you want to talk about like yeah, like yeah, Candace yeah. Owens. I'm not accepting Yeah, I'm not accepting that uh, cops are, are waging a war on black people no they're not waging a war on black people they're waging a war on Americans you well, see, what I I, see what I'm saying
4: I agree with you 100% as a matter of fact Scotty that's kind of what I'm saying when I say I use the word bond. but what I'm saying is if white folks realized just how many people were dying from their own race they would have to step back and understand this isn't just some wild but crazy black people, this is a police force that is deadly and it doesn't mind killing American citizens anywhere but I yeah. will notice when I look up some of the stuff, because uh, I started looking at it about five or six months ago just looking at old archives if you see the way they talk about the dead white people, they always have a long run up to the narrative on how they forced him into something and then they finally had the bastard door in, or he shot at them and then they shot. So they they use a completely different narrative. They don't just walk up to white people and kill them. So it's a completely different narrative. So and that's what bothers me that people can can figure out that some innocent black guy deserved to die, but they don't get it that white people are dying and they're actually shooting and 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 you know, back at the police. They're they Yes. They most are of them after engaging the police with firearms and shooting at them. Yeah. Producing Cinema, technology with incredible color.
1: Um looks like we got a, a caller. Jenna, did you have a comment? Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, sir. All
5: right, thank you for having me. Uh greetings to the host, Brother Otis, all the listeners. Uh, once again, thank you for allowing me to speak. Uh, to speak to directly to what y'all were saying, it's not that the these white folks don't know. A lot of them don't like themselves, and we find this with the small petty spat. Now they point ours out, but they've been doing this for so long; it's normal to them, and they recognize when uh, it's the codification that they have to where they recognize when those people be doing crazy stuff because they talk about it. Uh, water cooler talk, uh, for those of you who still have to work a job, such as myself, you know, they when they're alone, they're like, man, oh, I wouldn't let those, no police do this, that, and you know, other to me. And You know, they, they talk real crazy about them. But when they talking to you or to us, it's a totally different conversation. So it's it's a perspective that's going on, and they don't let us see their side of the uh, perspective. But as far as uh, I had a question that I wanted to ask you uh, directly, I meant to ask you earlier. Would you see all of this and how it plays out and how we're always the lowest on the totem pole. What would actually that system of justice that we replace racism look like from uh, each of you brothers' point of view? And I'll mute myself. Thank you.
1: I'll I'll take a stab at it first and I'll just um, use Neely Fuller's definition because I think it's the most accurate definition. A system of justice would be where um, um, no one is mistreated and I'm stressed, no one is mistreated and everybody that needs help gets help.
3: Otis, did you want to try your hand? All right. I wrote about that today, and I'll just give a, a, an example. It's just a microcosm. If you catch someone stealing about a thousand dollars, it would be far cheaper and more humane to let the person keep the thousand and give them counseling, job training, and placement, and then give the victim back their thousand and let both go on about their business. Otherwise, you're going to foot a bill of up to a hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year plus court costs just prosecuting and incarcerating the man who needed something so bad he resorted to theft. Every time you don't arrest and incarcerate someone you are saving the taxpayers from sixty to hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. By, but compassion like that doesn't pay dividends on prison stocks. So for me That's just a microcosm of what I would expect. You're not out there to put people in prisons. You're out there to help your society to uh, be healthy and contribute. The same thing applies with education. Like It it only helps us to have the best educations in the world because that's literally a commodity for our nation. But instead, we are uh, selecting to give educations to only the richest and most wealthy
1: Right, right. You know, I'm sorry, but I got to chime in on this. During the 2016 um, primary, you know Bernie Sanders was pushing uh, free college tuition at state colleges and universities, not private colleges and university. only those that's already funded by us. All right. And, and, and so um, Hillary Clinton and the Democrats convinced black folks, because I heard them, talking about we don't need no free education black folks we gotta stop expecting everything for free I heard this coming from black folks Max we are not in our right minds man as a collective
3: yeah, we're not looking at this in the right way it does everybody good to have our children have the best educations in the world because we could do anything with these brilliant young men women and children I mean anything And instead, we are being very selective about who gets to get these educations. And I guess that's maybe so certain people can stay in charge of what they've always been in charge.
1: Right. And I will stress and we got some more callers and I think Otis wants to chime back in. But I will also stress a education, not a miseducation, not an indoctrination, but a real education. Um, We don't go to
3: Scotty, save me 10 minutes at some point Because I want to play a video And cover a story that fits with it So anywhere in the program, just save 10 minutes for me for that
4: I'll keep mine short All I want to say is just what Scotty was saying When people talk about what we don't need I keep saying to them I don't understand where you get this stuff about We don't need something from the white man What we need is for the taxpayer money we're spending To come back to our community For our benefit I don't care what you think about the white man I'm talking about
3: the money Right I mean just realizing that in your very Like here in my community To incarcerate a teenager is $160,000 a year That comes out of every taxpayer In South Carolina's pocket $160,000 a year Recognizing and understanding These things like that really uh, Changes your perspective Of what you're dealing with
1: We got a caller from uh, Looks like South Carolina Your neck of the woods 803 803, thank you for calling in to New Abolitionist Radio. Did you have something to share with us?
3: You might have to press unmute on your own phone there, 803. Probably one of my peoples. Can you hear me? Yes, now we can hear you. Hey, what's up, Spirit? Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio, and thanks for finding that link for me.
7: Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually didn't mean to press the button. I'm just, I'm just uh, listening in faithfully. Well, um, we got
3: you now. You got to make a question or a comment.
7: Sure. <laughs> um, so uh, it was something about um, you guys are saying what? Where is the video? Like, where is the outrage of you know the police brutality against white people? And um, my statement towards that is that white people, white people believe in the system. Like so, when a white person is killed, they just believe that he was the bad guy. No matter what, no matter what went down, the cop is always on the right. The heroes, so yes. yeah, they're they're always a the hero. So they're always they're they're just always taught that you know what I mean. Like black people and white people just have a completely different experience when it comes to you know right. law enforcement and you know right when 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 white people are young, they're taught that law enforcement are you know, they're, they're heroes, they're going to save the day. You know what I mean? Right. Black people are not. That's not our experience, so right. You know, that just is kind of my statement to that. Hey, that's I think a great point. Also,
3: more interested in uh, giving up liberties at the cost of uh, in, for safety sake that they're, they're willing to do that more often than not. I mean, just listen to the conversation of repealing the Second Amendment. They're willing to do those things. At, hey, out of safety sake. I
1: don't mean uh You know, I don't. I don't have anything against me. Me, the Fuller. So let me say, I don't mean to keep bringing him up but he has this term he came up with called white sacrifice that they'll sacrifice some white people as long as it means they get to keep mistreating black folks Jenna did you have something else to add Uh, that is actually uh, spirit no Jenna's mic is is still oh I'm
5: sorry yeah, no, nah, I, I have put myself on mute. I, I just wanted to throw that question out there and uh, pick y'all brain for a
1: little bit. Okay. Thanks. Well, I'm going to leave all the mics open. Just watch your background noise. And anytime you want to chime in, you know, just let us know. Uh, Max, that 10 minutes? Yes.
3: Yes, this is the time. Okay, great. Uh, I'm going to point you out to a video so you can pick that up on our page. Can you post post it in the
1: chat, please, sir? That'll be the easiest way for me to get to it.
3: Okay, give me a moment and I will do that right now.
1: Yeah, but uh, Spirit, that's a great point. You are exactly right. That, again, Gold speaks to Um just the society in general not having a real education but being indoctrinated that speaks to their indoctrination and like you said their wholesale belief in in the system and i i didn't consider that but that's a great point
7: yeah that's real i also feel as though just white people just had like almost like a first grade education on american race relations you know what I mean? it, it feels like they were taught that Slavery, slavery, and then Martin Luther King, and that's
1: it, right?
7: And and then Barack Obama, you know, I mean that's that's pretty much every white person.
3: Well, yeah, I can understand why they're doing it. I mean, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I understand why they do things like that. It's just not part of their culture. They've never had any reason to dig any deeper than the surface. Uh, Most white people don't even have a black friend. Uh, Studies have shown that just recently. So. They, they've been completely uh in seclusion from the world and it has created this during modul- the age of see that they live by uh Scotty there may be a commercial in front of that uh so you uh screen it, but I wanna build up to it first if you don't mind
1: yeah, yeah, and it's not showing me any volume control, so we're gonna have to suffer the little short uh thirteen seconds of this of this uh that and, no,
3: That's actually the commercial, yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah, go ahead Max, set it up for us
3: Okay, well we, you know, we used to talk on here And for years I had been saying that Based on my own research I believed that the uh, modern day slavery and human trafficking In the United States as it is practiced by the thir- Through the 13th Amendment Was worth about a half a trillion dollars annually Right Scotty? I've been saying that for years yep. Apparently I was wrong Uh, Everybody was talking about how it was $80 billion a year That the Department of Justice was spending But the truth is it's over $1 trillion a year And that's from a new study that has just come out Uh, They say a new study examining the economic toll of mass incarceration In the United States concludes that the full cost exceeds $1 trillion With about half of that burden falling on the families, children, and communities Of people who have been locked up The United States is the biggest jailer on the planet, with less than 5% of the world's population, but 25% of its prisoners. Another 7 million Americans are either on probation or on parole. Operating all those federal and state prisons, plus running local jails, is generally said to cost the U.S. government about $80 billion a year. But in a first-of-its-kind study, researchers at Washington University in St. Louis found that the $80 billion price tag is likely a gross underestimation because it does not factor in the social costs of incarceration. And then they have a few full articles on it where it shows you where all these costs are coming from. When you're talking about a trillion dollars annually, you are talking about a system that rivals the Atlantic slave trade in value.
1: Want me to go ahead?
3: No, sir. Uh, One more. So anyway, this is the last story for this, and then you're going to hear a video. And uh, let me just tell you what the last part. This is another article that came out from the Los Angeles Times where they explained how incarcerating uh, people in California is costly to the point of it's more than a Harvard education. We're talking about $80,000 a year. To incarcerate an adult in California, a place that has some of the uh, most for-profit private prisons and factories built into their prisons in this entire country, which means on Earth. And it's as much as $80,000 a year. This is an economic investment That's how they look at it. Building prisons in your community will create jobs. It will create revenue. It will create taxes. All of these things are an economic development program for certain communities. And one of those communities is the video that's coming up next. Well, I want before, you to hear in their own words.
1: Huh? Before we go into the video, I just want to share some related news because I mentioned, uh, I think his name is Larry Krasner, the new DA um, up there in Philly. But he also told the district attorneys that you also got to do a cost analysis with every person you charge. How much is it going to cost for us to incarcerate this person? You got to attach that to your charging documents.
3: Awesome. Uh, I'm glad because people need to see these things. It's just out of the realm of any kind of logical reasoning. Like how in the hell Could you justify spending as much as $300,000 to incarcerate a young black teenager who has no job? I mean, how can you justify that? In any case, it's a money-making deal. And here's communities that may live or die without them. So you can play it whenever you feel.
8: Explorers to find the impossible. Watch the Age of Aerospace series online to experience interactive content and discover more than a century's worth of groundbreaking innovations. Brought to you by Boeing.
7: The coal mining industry
6: has pretty much gone. As we've seen people start to lose their jobs, it's been very hard for us to see them leave.
8: There's nothing left. It's all gone.
6: It is very painful to see the community hurt right now.
4: We would like to see something happen that would cause them to come back. And it was suggested to us that perhaps a prison would be something that could be acquired and that it would have a positive impact on our community.
8: In 2005, a group of business and community leaders got together to chart a new future for Letcher County. That's when someone suggested building a prison.
4: We approached the Bureau of Prisons and said, how about coming here and looking at our area, see what we have to offer. Because here,
8: the unemployment rate is about double that of the state and the rest of the country. The median household income is about $29,000 a year. And nearly a third of all residents live in poverty.
6: The economy of our community has made a drastic drop.
8: The coal jobs that once buoyed this rural economy have disappeared. 1,300 residents once worked in coal. At last count, that number was down to 61. A prison, some residents thought, could bring work back to this struggling county. (laughs)
6: <laughs> the decrease in in sales, decrease in the profit, does make me very anxious, very nervous, very stressed.
8: Gwen Christian owns the grocery store here.
6: We've lost about $700,000 in sales.
1: Yep. My husband
6: was a coal miner. He continued to work in the coal mines until uh, he was laid off. So he ended up coming to the store, and he is working at the store, and he's doing stock Uh, He at one time had a $100,000 salary, and now he is working for less than half of that.
8: You know, it used to be perfect and great. Like 30 years ago, 50 years ago, my grandfather, he worked in coal mines, and my dad worked there, and all my uncles did. If the coal industry wouldn't have went away, I would have probably followed in their footsteps. Aaron Boggs lives in a trailer on his grandfather's property. He's a student takes care of the land, and waits tables at the Pine Mountain Grill. With few options for economic recovery, Aaron, Gwen, and others in Letcher County have been hoping for their peculiar savior. And in 2015, the plan seemed to be paying off. 10 years after the idea of a prison was first raised, the Bureau of Prisons allocated $444 million to build one. Here, on, of all places, a former mining site. The the
4: prison itself would start about here and be in this direction.
8: Letcher County would join hundreds of rural communities that have embraced prisons as economic engines in the past 30 years. America had shifted away from farming, mining, and manufacturing, but it also turned to mass incarceration. The research is mixed as to whether prisons actually benefit local economies. And some residents here staunchly oppose the plan. But Gwen remains hopeful.
6: It's giving us hope for a job. It's giving us hope to be able to stay in this community, if we so choose, and just be able to survive. Item number 169016. A prison is basically going to be just like a factory that would be a sign of hope for anyone else in the United States.
8: Gwen has already been certified to contract with the prison, and Aaron is studying criminal justice. He imagines a future as a guard or as a prison psychologist. If the prison's built, I see myself as being able to stay here and not have to worry about anything. It would be job security because there's always going to be prisoners and bad people in the world. In total, the prison promises to bring 300 full-time jobs to Letcher County. But there's a catch. President Trump's latest spending request cut the Letcher County prison and instead proposed expanding an existing lockup in Illinois. This place that voted overwhelmingly for Trump in the presidential election now faces yet another setback on its path to economic renewal.
4: We didn't get into this to quit. We didn't get into it to give up. Uh, We got into it to follow it to its fruition. And I think we're going to do that.
3: Oh, Lord help me. Lord help me with this, man. First of all, the violin music. Oh my god, the violin music. You heard what they
1: were about? I talking think that about, was like? a banjo, Max. It's
3: it's all violin music, dude. It's all violin music. <laughs> I'm just, you know, metaphorically speaking. Play me a song, sad song. So you know, they were they were upset because they were failing at their attempt to spend $440 million in this broke town to buy a prison. And instead, the prison went to Michigan. And they were, you know, looking forward to using this job creator in order to take their little town out of poverty. But here's a question that I got, is I heard them talk about poverty, but I didn't hear a single person go, you know, there's too damn many criminals around here. We got to put them somewhere. So they didn't seem to have a crime problem. So, the question then becomes, who do they expect to go into those prisons? Hey, they got plenty of a, wait
1: a minute, start. wait a minute max they got plenty of heroin addicts up there <sighs> sad man they got plenty of heroin addicts but uh, but as we can see though um they're not being treated like crack addicts back in the you know eighties and the, in the nineties and what have you and it also points to the human trafficking component because they know these prisoners wasn't going to come out. Of their community is going to come from probably places all over the country, human trafficking. And as I listen to this, these people talk, I can imagine that's probably some of the same arguments that a person like Judge Stevens argued with Abraham Lincoln about about why we can't give up slavery. We just, it'll destroy our communities and we'll lose so much profit. That's what I heard, man. I heard modern day slavers.
3: Right. Lamenting the fact that they couldn't get any slaves to help generate an income for everybody. And and, and they're facing, you know, extreme poverty. They're probably going to go bankrupt or something like that. Uh, So apparently they're desperate And they heard about how much money these prisons make (laughs) And how they You know Economic development engine Isn't that what he said it right on there
1: Right and she talked about Her private you know As a private contractor for the prison And what have you
3: If it was true That a prison in your community Enriches your community Creates jobs and income and everybody can come back to some kind of uh, economic stability, then Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, and about a dozen other states would be just one great big mansion with everybody making money.
1: Hey, Gaston County, we got a prison in Gaston County. And a bunch of people living in poverty.
3: (laughs) Right. As he said, there is no evidence to show that these uh, prisons bring value to your community, and uh, actually, the evidence shows otherwise—that it brings strife and despair and, and uh, all kinds of lawsuits because of the way that these tri- these prisons are run. Right now, Mississippi's prisons, state prisons, are back before the Supreme Court over the horrific conditions that they have uh, been forcing their citizenry to exist under. Horrific, and we've reported on them before here, uh, Mississippi. That one uh, youth detention facility where the young men and women were being raped and bu- brutalized, and living in urine and feces, and and rats and roaches, and some and, you know no temperature control through the summer or through the winter, and they still live like that, still.
1: Right, and think about Baltimore. You know, we heard that that news. Um, it was in the news cycle for a little bit a couple of days maybe, about how these school children didn't have no heat during the winter. But they certainly spent millions of dollars for a brand spanking new youth detention facility.
3: Right, right, exactly. That's this city right now. We ain't got no money. Wait a minute. There's $440 million over there we can use. (laughs) It just doesn't make any damn sense, man. They're making an investment. That's how they look at it. Okay, I'm going to put in this $440 million now, and in 10 years, I'm going to make that $440 million back, and everything after that is profit.
1: Mm. It's disgusting. All right, Scotty, it's,
3: we're it's, running late on, the, on our segments, but we're missing one segment today because we already did it earlier in the program.
1: Yeah, we'll just forego our last break, but let's get into our segments. We got Minds, Body, and Spirit coming up tonight at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern following, so make sure y'all stay tuned.
3: No doubt, uh, no doubt. And uh, I guess okay, we'll skip our, our first uh, our break and go right into our final two segments. The first one, I guess, would be our abolitionist in profile, and today that is Thomas Clarkson. Uh, Thomas Clarkson was born in Wisbech, Cambridgeshire, on the 28th of March. That will be today, 1760. Happy birthday. His father was the local headmaster. Clarkson was only six when his father died in 1776. Clarkson went to the local grammar school and later Cambridge University, St. John's College. In 1785, Clarkson in an essay writing competition at Cambridge University. The title was, and get this, is it lawful to make slaves of others against their will? Clarkson, like many people in Britain at the time, knew very little about the horrors of the slave trade. He spent the next two months reading up on the subject of slavery. As he read, his feelings started to change. His research made him realize how evil the slave trade was. He was shocked by what he discovered about how enslaved Africans were treated. Clarkson won first prize for his essay, and in the summer of 1785, he was invited back to the university to read it in the Senate House. After the talk, Clarkson left for London. On his journey, Clarkson thought a lot about slavery. He became more and more upset and angry at the thought that slavery would continue. As he reached Ways Mill in Hertfordshire, Clarkson stopped, sat down, and reflected on his life. It was there that Clarkson decided to to devote his life to abolishing the slave trade. In London, Clarkson met other people who wanted to stop the slave trade. He added, to his essay and in June 1786 it was published. The essay was read by lots of people and Clarkson became a well-known figure. In May 8, 1787 Clarkson and 11 other men set up the Society for Effecting the Abolition of the Slave Trade. The Society was able to persuade William Wilberforce, the uh, MP for Hull, to speak out for them in Parliament. Wilberforce was able to use his contacts to try and set up a parliamentary investigation into the slave trade. Clarkson worked hard to collect as much evidence as possible that would prove how badly slaves were treated. His travels would take him 35,000 miles around the country and make him one of the best-known men in the kingdom. In 1787, Clarkson visited Bristol. He met two surgeons who had worked on the slave ships, James Arnold and Alexander Falconbridge. They both gave him detailed descriptions of life on the slave ships. Leaving Bristol, Clarkson pressed on to Liverpool in search of more witnesses. Clarkson had a lucky escape from a gang of sailors that seemed to have been paid to assassinate him. Clarkson was alone when he was attacked by eight or nine men who attempted to shove him towards the end of the pier. Clarkson believed that the gang was determined to throw him into the sea and make it look like an accident. Fortunately, he was able to push one of the gang's members to the ground, and despite being hit by the others, he was able to break through and escape. After Liverpool, Clarkson... Road to Manchester. Here he delivered a powerful and moving speech in which he gave many examples from his own research into the cruel way in which slaves were treated. Clarkson returned to London towards the end of 1787. He had been away for more than five months and had persuaded many people around the country to support the abolitionist cause. In 1788, Clarkson set about collecting more witnesses and evidence that he hoped would win the argument in Parliament for abolition. He set out. On another tour covering 1,600 miles in two months, at Plymouth, he uncovered a key piece of evidence, the plan and section of a loaded slave ship. Clarkson reworked the plan in London, applying the idea to the the Brooks, a slave ship from Liverpool. Towards the end of 1789, Clarkson went to France in order to try and persuade the new French government to abolish the slave trade. Clarkson gave out copies of the Brooks diagram and his essay. Clarkson had powerful enemies working against him in France and he suffered from a lot of abuse. He received a threat that he would be stabbed to death and rumors were begun that he was a British government spy. France did not abandon the trade. Uh, There's a little quite a bit more to this here uh, about this abolitionist who was really the guy who started it all in England uh, as far as the abolitionist movement is concerned and we here at new abolitionist radio salute you thomas clarkson happy birthday
1: salute
3: you can read the rest of that on new abolitionist radio it's uh it's intriguing uh, what he did you know how how he managed it
1: you know i kind of got emotional this week with um and i'm admitting it I, i got emotional i let people get under my skin but when i hear these people who I call my alpha deniers who try to say the slave trade never happened. But for six years, we have been sharing these stories, apparently, Max, of of fictional, uh, you know, individuals and stuff who, uh, you know, uh, um, went through all of this. All of this is made up and fabricated and what have you, man. Um, so, you know, I just really appreciate... Just digging, just digging, and finding these abolitionists in history to profile.
3: Yeah, there's no substitute for a little bit of research, and we know that not everybody is willing, or capable, or able. So we do it for you. And here on New Abolitionist Radio, we disseminate uh, and, and and talk about and deal with the issues that we have found.
1: Max, um, our last uh, segment is our writer of the Underground Railroad. Now let me first say this with a caveat. Herman Bell has not been released yet. He was granted parole, but the police unions and, and all their friends are finding ways. I, I just Googled his name to find a profile for him, a little bit more information for him, which I know about him from you know um when I used to do political prisoner radio. And what have you, but I mean, it's hours. It, uh, here's a couple of headlines from the New York Post two days ago looking for ways to overturn Herman Bell's parole. Um, three hours ago, New York Daily News, parole board broke law while deciding to free cop killer, says the Police Benevolent Association. So let me just read to you a little bit about Herman Bell. Herman Bell, and this comes to you from Prisonersolidarity.net. Herman Bell was born in Mississippi and moved to Brooklyn, New York as a boy. He was a talented high school football player and won a football scholarship to the University of California in Oakland. While in Oakland, Herman joined the Black Panther Party and became active around human rights issues in the black community. In 1971, He went underground because of relentless FBI attacks, that's that co tail pro, on the Black Panther Party. While underground, Herman joined the Black Liberation Army, and in September of 1973, he was captured and extradited to New York on charges of having killed two New York City slave catchers, a case for which Jaleel Montekim and Nub Washington were already serving time. No witnesses were able to put Herman at the scene of the alleged crime. The first trial ended in a hung jury, and he was later convicted at his second trial and given 25 years to life. He was granted parole in March of 2018. While in prison, Herman was a prison activist. Well, I should say he's still in prison. Herman is a prison activist and has coached various sports teams inside the prison system. In 1990, he earned his uh, BS degree from the State University of New York at New Paltz. Most recently, Herman was indicted as one of the San Francisco Eight. Eight former Black Panthers all accused of murdering a police officer in San Francisco in 1970. Herman pled guilty to a smaller offense and was not given any additional time to his sentence. So, he, as I stated, Herman was granted parole, but he has yet to be released. And there is an active campaign to overturn his parole. So, we still need people signing those petitions we've been circulating and I'll try to find find that petition and, and repost it the new abolitionist radio and um and sign a petition. We had to keep advocating for his release. He's been paroled, but he's still in custody.
3: That in itself is a tragedy and a shame. Like Okay. Yeah. Tragedy and a shame. <clears throat> Salute of the Herman Bell. Uh, we look forward to saying welcome to freedom and meaning it that you are out and not just on paper. All right, Scotty. Um, that pretty much covers everything that I, I wanted to cover today. There is so much more as we started the of the program talking about. I want to thank all of our callers who had questions and comments and contributed to the, uh, to the program here tonight and helping people to become more aware of what it is really dealing with. I also want to say thank you so much to all the people who donated towards helping me to uh put my mom to rest. Uh, thank you so much for your generosity and uh may God bless you. Well Scotty, uh anything you wanna conclude here with in the past last few minutes of the evening?
1: Um, yeah, I just want people to stay involved and, and you know, just really do your best to educate people. Everybody's not going to be receptive that slavery was never abolished. Everybody's not going to be receptive to the need for a new abolitionist movement. But guess what? The abolitionist movement prior to 1865, everybody wasn't on board with that either. They were not, Everyone was not actively trying to end slavery. We don't need everyone. Okay, we just need the dedicated uh, men and women and, and children who care about this issue deeply and are willing to do whatever is necessary to bring it to an end. So stay encouraged. Stay encouraged out there, people. Just stay encouraged. Stay involved.
3: I mean, if you're listening to this program, Scotty you've already started on the path to change like for real because you know, if you got the courage to really sit down and listen to what we're talking about and think along with us and think critically as we do, uh, then yeah, you're definitely the future right now. And our hopes are pinned on you if you're listening to us. All right, Scotty, I guess, uh, yeah, you got, you said we've got another program coming on, so I'm not going to spend too much time on my final comments. Again, I said my thank yous and, uh, Please tune in next week. Tell a friend to tell a friend that somebody's talking about freedom and justice and equality right here on new abolitionist radio. Please become very supportive of our new social media, uh, form, which is, uh, BTR community. As I've said before, uh, we don't have all the bells and whistles that you may be used to, but in time we can have them. And not only can we give you those bells and whistles, but we'll be able to fight this fight on a much more equal basis Because what they can do with a billion We can do with a hundred <laughs> You know what I mean I'm trying to tell you So support BTR community It's a $24 a year uh, uh, site and So you just pay once a year $24 is about the price of a, coffee, a cup of coffee Right Scott, every day no So uh, support us that way I mean if that's all you can do Do that, it makes a difference And then we can bring this fight uh, to a conclusion uh, I just want to say this As I say every week you gotta keep this in mind: abolition, the abolition of slavery, not reform. Abolition is a reason for a revolution, y'all, so we can finally know some peace. Rise up, rise
2: up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, Just lift your eyes up. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing,
8: rise up.